Welcome back to The Lives of Writers, a podcast presented by Autofocus, a literary publisher of artful autobiographical writing, which you can find today at autofocuslit.com or on Twitter and Instagram at autofocuslit. I am the publisher of Autofocus, Michael Wheaton. Today on the show, I talk with Jennifer Wharton. Jennifer Wharton is the author of the story collection, This, This, This is Love, Love, Love from Split Lip Press in 2019. She's been a recipient of NEA and McDowell Fellowships, and her work has appeared in Tri-Quarterly, Electric Literature, Brevity, Best Small Fictions, Best Microfiction, and it's been cited as Distinguished in Best American Short Stories. All right, let's get to it. This is my conversation with Jennifer Wharton. Right now I'm in what you could call either a lull or a break, depending <laughs> on how you look at it. So typically I teach um, mostly through Lighthouse Writers Workshop, um, an independent writing school in Denver. And um, occasionally elsewhere I just finished up an intensive um, co-teaching, an intensive with Smoke Long Quarterly, the Flash Fiction Journal. So I do that. I also edit and I also proofread. So um, yeah, just a lot of things happening or not happening at any given time. And I'm in a not happening <laughs> point right now. And it always, what happens is I either have everything at once or nothing. It's never like some nice, even distribution. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's that. And I have two kids. Uh, they're teenagers. And one goes to school nearby. The other needs to be schlepped. So schlepping is always a big part of life right now. Do you normally like fit writing in? Like, do you keep it as a practice even in your lulls or do you let that kind of lull out and go on break too, kind of depending? No, ideally when I have a lull, I will write more. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, that's the goal. Yeah. So are you a morning writer? (laughs) Yes. I tend toward more. Sometimes, you know, like I said, my schedule is ever changing. So sometimes, some days it makes more sense to write later in the day. But Mm -hmm. in general, I prefer to write in the morning. Yeah. But, and then you just kind of fit it in (laughs) wherever you can. Right. Yeah. And so, um, and you know, we're going to talk about your story collection that came out, um, a couple of years ago, uh, in a little bit, but is that typically what you're writing now? Like when you're kind of in process, like, are you always doing fiction or do you do kind of like different types of writing kind of depending? You know, I've gone through phases. I've talked about this elsewhere. I've gone through phases where I love dipping into other genres as kind of, it's a break. It's a refresher. I often, I don't know, learn things or generate energy that I can then bring back to my fiction. So I will like dabble in poetry, dabble in nonfiction, or I might oftentimes I'll be working on something longer in fiction and then do some flash fiction. But Mm -hmm. recently I haven't been quite, I haven't been quite as active or eclectic. It's kind of, maybe it's the pandemic. Maybe it's because I've been working on this very long project, which we can talk more about later, but I kind of, I sort of do what I have to do and then I don't really feel like dabbling much mm-hmm. beyond that. So it's sort of changed over time. Yeah. So tell me how it all happened. So how did this <laughs> fiction writing thing or just writing thing kind of happen for you? When did you start to like focus on it a lot? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I guess first take me back to reading. Like when, did, you know, when did you become such a reader? And I, and I do remember in the acknowledgments of the book, 
Um, you thank your mother for like reading to you early mm-hmm. yeah. um, and kind of being a big supporter of you, even, quote, even when it embarrasses her. Yeah, which, <laughs> which is I a love. lot, a yeah. lot. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, and then your father for kind of, you know, this this uh, love of like play and an independent thought. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Tell me a bit about, you know, all that wrapped up into, you know, your writing life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. So, you know, my mom was a vora- is a voracious reader and she's actually a librarian now. She wasn't mm-hmm. when I was very young, but um, she read to me a lot and I have early memories of her reading Hop on Pop Mm-hmm. by Dr. Seuss to me. And then eventually I read Hop on Pop. At Nir- I mean, who knows? Maybe I'd memorized it, but right. it was it's this sort of exciting like origin story <laughs> related to Hop <laughs> on Pop where like this very, this, this seminal text in my development where it really got mm-hmm. me. And, and it, it's a good book, you know? Right. <laughs> it's a, it holds up. Oh yeah. It holds up. I've, I've enjoyed it um, with my kids for sure. <laughs> yeah. Great, great sound play. And then my dad used to read hand, hand, fingers, thumb. Oh yeah, that's monkeys, a big one in our house on, too. <laughs> yeah, which is not—I forget the author. It's it's Susian, it's but it's not. Yeah, it's like doctor. a Seuss book. It's like Eric Guernsey. Yeah, so, um, yeah. So that was a big one. So these very like I don't know playful, rhythmic, sound-based books were very key to me in my youth, and so always reading. My mom became a librarian. Um, and my dad's a professor. So, you know, just like a very kind of bookish, mm-hmm. <laughs> nerdy family. <laughs> what did what did your dad teach? History. He taught history. history. Yeah. Yeah. And so did that rub off on you? Are you kind of a history person or just kind of like interested sometimes, but not really, you know, deep into it? Yeah. I mean, definitely not by discipline, not to the se- like. I see some people who really like to research Mm-hmm. <laughs> when they write and will really delve into historical fiction. I don't really have that, but I do feel like I have absorbed kind of this historical sensibility mm-hmm. and also just historical knowledge from him. I mean, we yeah. talk about stuff <laughs> over the dinner table. So in a very broad kind of almost unconscious way, I feel like it is it's affected me and I've carried it into yeah. my writing. Yeah. So, you know, as you got older and became an independent reader, you know, I can't imagine you stayed with, you know, the sound stuff. I guess maybe, I guess maybe you could have been reading yeah. poetry or something, but I imagine at some point um, your independent interest kind of evolved into fiction or novels, uh, yeah. you know, at least for kids. Or yeah. were you, or were you more like a nonfiction, you know, reading about no. historical figures? Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> always fiction. Always love reading. Even now, I mean, I, I still, I love to read memoirs that, you know, the random informative nonfiction book, but it's fiction is, is really my staple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what I was like when I was a kid too. I really, I liked all kinds of books. I liked, you know, there was, what was her name? Paula, was Paula Danzinger? Mm-hmm. There were all these like YA writers. I may be older than you too, that were, and, and yeah, I can't believe I can't even remember these names anymore, but there were, <laughs> I, I read a lot of YA books when I was growing up, like the cat ate my gym suit. That was one. (laughs) And then there was something about the cheese, like these dark ones, Robert Cormier. Anyway, there were a lot of books out there. I read those. I love Lois Duncan. Mm -hmm. Sort of, she was kind of 
horror thriller type. I really like those books, but not exclusively. John Belair's wrote stuff like that for younger kids. And mm-hmm. I remember loving those. Yeah. Ellen Raskin, The Westing Game. She mm-hmm. was huge. Yeah, I so I love all that stuff. And then, you know, then I got into what was that book? Uh, Sweet Valley High, that whole oh, yeah. series. Like I've always <laughs> had, I've always had an affinity for soap opera sporadic type stuff and it was very soap opera-ish um, so I liked those and then around I don't know maybe late middle school early high school I really got into literature yeah. um, or what I thought of as literature right. at the time <laughs> you know I was reading poetry I was reading I, I loved John Irving mm-hmm. I loved um, Tom Robbins Still Life mm-hmm. with Woodpecker even um, that, even that early in uh, middle school, you're in those. I don't think it was quite middle school. I think it was school. more like early high school. My friend mm-hmm. Polly Myers and I would really we, you know, we were all whatever disaffected and estranged <laughs> from our our peers, and yeah. we <laughs> we like to congratulate ourselves <laughs> by, with our love of quirky. <laughs> literature yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i mean you know and and those like those john irving books like they're no joke (laughs) they really get deep and dark oh yeah Um, and i do think like you know it's interesting to me to think about how when we're younger you know nobody really thinks twice about you reading books kind of like beyond your understanding of the world in one way because we expect books to expose us to that right right. i think at some point like parents or teachers are just like happy that you're reading yeah (laughs) you know instead of watching tv um and so you know we're often reading above you know our own level of understanding and and i compare that now to like kids everything seems and maybe this is just tv and maybe it's not like this with with books so much or you know or will be as they get older but it always feels like everything is like age appropriate and because everything's so on demand you can always just find the thing yeah that's for you right and so it's it's interesting to me to think about you know like my childhood or or the childhood of people that i talk to where we're oftentimes reading things we shouldn't or not that we shouldn't be reading them that a little yeah really immersing us into this adult world um and you know, and now I think we keep, I guess, I don't know. I think it's just like the consumption we do on media seems to be more um, age appropriate. But I guess what my question is, like, <laughs> did you feel like when you were, you know, reading those books, like in early high school, did you feel kind of like they were this like glimpse into this kind of adult world or like a way of understanding this, this kind of bigger world we don't really understand yet? In a way, I mean, I think in a certain way, I was too immature to recognize my own immaturity. Mm. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, I just kind of thought, oh, yeah, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, but, you know, of course, I didn't really. <laughs> yeah. And then, so, did did you go straight to college after high school and, like, go straight into studying literature? Or, or was no. there some deliberation? I mean, yes and no. I did go straight to college. And I always I assumed I would um, major in literature. Although my college, I, I went to Oberlin College in Northern Ohio. I'm from Ohio, um, and my dad taught at a school that was in the same association, and so we got like mm-hmm. a really good tuition break. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was this awesome deal. And I went to Oberlin, and they had a um, creative writing major, so I thought maybe I'd do that. That did not work out for various reasons. But when I got there, I took these religion classes. Mm-hmm. They had a really great religious studies 
department. And I was so excited about religious studies that I became a religion major. Mm-hmm. And religion is always, I guess it was interesting to me. I, I'm Jewish. I grew up in this very small Ohio town. I was one of, you know, two Jewish kids my age. We were not super observant at all, but I always, you know, I remember a lot of my life sort of not taking religious worldviews for granted. Like what all the other kids were doing wasn't what I was doing. The beliefs they had weren't really the beliefs my family mm-hmm. had. So I'd always had an interest in that. Yeah. And so, and then I, I encountered this religion department with these great professors. So I, I declared a major in religion, but then, because <laughs> I, I am flaky, then <laughs> I ended up studying creative writing at Colorado College in the summer program and realized mm-hmm. I had to be an English major mm-hmm. after that. Mm-hmm. So then I undeclared <laughs> my, <laughs> my religion major and returned to English literature. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's what happened there. <laughs> And then you just stayed on that path. And so you're plugging around along writing stories, you know, for a while. And then so tell me about kind of, you know, finishing school. And then in 2019, um, your short story book, This, This, This is Love, Love, Love comes out. And so tell me about kind of leading up to to that book. Okay, well, that was a long time. After all that, (laughs) I'm, you know, I'm 51. And the book came out, I think the book came out when I was 48. Mm-hmm. And so in college, I wasn't a creative writing major. Like I said, I had, there was some weird stuff with the creative writing yeah. professor there, that department. It didn't really work out for me. And um, I was writing somewhat, but I wasn't writing regularly. I think, I do want to say, I think in college was when I realized I was more of a fiction writer than a poet. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked earlier about how we can blank out sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and that actually would happen to me. I had this weird issue in college where like kind of was sort of an anxiety disorder where I would blank out on words and then I get really anxious about it, which would make it worse. And then I would sort of obsess about it and spend like the next, you know, day trying to figure out what the right word could have been. (laughs) I still have that to a lesser degree, but I kind of worked through it, worked it out. But in the process of that, I realized I needed a discipline that wasn't so hyper-focused on language at the micro level. Like it just mm-hmm. wasn't, it was too hard for me and it was sort of trigger, like weirdly triggering for me. So mm-hmm. that, so I, that's when I really turned more toward fiction, but I wasn't writing regularly. And then yeah. I didn't like go, I did go to graduate school for writing, but I didn't go straight to it. I kind of, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I kind of drifted around. I had been to Colorado for a summer during college to study creative writing, fell in love with it. And then some of my friends, I graduated college a semester late because I took a semester off. And some of my friends had already moved to Colorado. They had a free space in their rental house. And I didn't know what I was doing with my life. So I was like, okay, I'll just go there and take that space and see what happens. And then I just worked like in copy shops and, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, retail type stuff. And wrote sometimes, took continuing ed classes, and eventually ended up in graduate school. And in my usual flaky roundabout way, I ended up in graduate school because (laughs) I had been living in the Boulder area, um, moved up with my boyfriend at the time to Fort Collins because they had a music therapy program. And I thought Mm -hmm. I was going to return to undergraduate um, 
to an undergraduate program and get a music therapy degree there. In the process of doing that, I realized I did not want to get a music therapy degree because what it would require of me would make it impossible for me to write. Mm -hmm. And so at the last minute, I just (laughs) abandoned that plan and decided to apply to the creative writing graduate program (laughs) at CSU instead. Gotcha. So tell me about your interest in music therapy. So are you a musician or, you know, where does Mm -hmm. it come from? Or just a music lover? I don't know what it would be like to study it. So typically music therapists play music, perform it to some degree. You don't need the level of skill that, say, like a professional musician would have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it, it wasn't something I had ever thought about. But I did in high school, college, and beyond. I played guitar. I wrote songs. In my 20s, I... I performed a little bit, you know, open mics and maybe like Mm -hmm. some gigs that were a cut, you know, above open mics, nothing that big, but it was, I was very consumed by it. Um, Mm. And my grandma, my late grandmother sent me an article about like music therapy and music therapists. And I was trying to find something that was more of a career for myself. And I thought, ooh, I could do that. You know, I could help people. I could use music. I already have some mm-hmm. musical skill that I could build on. Right. I don't have to be some master musician. Um, so I was drawn to it in part because I was looking for something to be drawn to. And it checked some boxes. Um, yeah. But it ultimately wasn't my thing. And ultimately music itself, I still love music. And every so often I play, I have kind of a tortured relationship with music that I, I actually address Mm. in some of my writing um, that has not yet been published, but um, writing one out in the end. So let's talk about the book. So, you know, this is a short story collection. um, And, you know, I mentioned the title is this, this, this is love, love, love. And that's exactly what (laughs) the book is about. It's kind of exploring, um, you know, kind of like what is love in like a variety of ways and, and different lenses. And, you know, it's about depression at times and addiction at times. Um, Not all the narrators, but a lot of the narrators are, you know, these women in these kind of like doomed relationships um, and they're narrating kind of what's going on there against like the backdrop, you know, of their lives. Kind of like, I feel like in a lot of the stories, there's kind of like a, it's either like a comparison or contrast going on between like this doomed relationship and then like what, whatever else is like going on in the narrator's life and kind Mm -hmm. of like looking at them next to each other kind of like brings, you know, all the like subtext, to the surface mm-hmm. um you know but i mentioned you know there's third person pieces there's a piece from a male pov there's yeah. a found piece too um, which i'd love to talk about in a little bit um <clears throat> but one of the things i love about you know the narrators in the book is that they all come with this like intense self-awareness <laughs> or like self-consciousness and questioning and like they're unreliable you know like in the way that all first person narrators are unreliable um the way that they kind of question their own reliability in a way for like lack of better word gives them this kind of like, I feel like extra dimension to the story. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'd love to hear as, you know, before we talk about some of the other pieces in it or other approaches, I'd love to hear about, you know, your approach to the first person narrator, you know, and, and how much of that is just kind of your natural reflex, (laughs) you know, to be very self-aware and self-conscious and how much is, you know, like a, a guiding principle of just what you're trying to do there. Yeah, that's a great question. So 
I am intuitively drawn to the first person. And I think I'm drawn to it because I'm very interested in um, psychological writing. I'm interested in how people reveal and conceal themselves, um, both intentionally and despite themselves. <laughs> I've always been interested in that tension. And I think, I think beyond that, I'm really interested I don't know, I'm sort of almost tormented by the limits of knowledge and self-knowledge and what mm -hmm. it means to know yourself and how simultaneous, how you can know so much about yourself and yet know so little <laughs> about yourself simultaneously mm -hmm. and how even mm -hmm. that quest for knowledge can obscure what's really going on. So I think the first person is a really good way to explore that, to get inside, not just get inside a character's head, but also explore how they try to make order out of what's going on inside their head. Um, my own natural, I mean, I am a very, you know, I don't know if I want to say self-aware, but very, I'm always sort of looking to my myself to try to figure things out, not just about myself, but about like the world. Like, what does it mm -hmm. mean to be a person? And I'm like mm -hmm. the, the best example I have because I can <laughs> like go deeper with myself, right? Then, right? <laughs> like, but at the same time, I'm also very skeptical of, you know, how I'm navigating that process and all the unconscious forces that are influencing that process. So I try to bring that into my first person narrators. And I also try to bring that into my editing because sometimes my own tendency to spin things will spin out of control mm. on the page and can bog it down. Um, I'm a terrible overwriter. So mm. um, yeah, so that's something I kind of have to, something that I harness and then I also rein it in. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you're working with these, you know, first person narrators, when you start the piece, do you work from like where you identify with them in a sense? Like, or do you always look at the narrators as kind of separate from you? Or, you know, it does like sometimes it starts with an identification, sometimes it's not. And then it kind of just yeah. at different at different times you kind of hone in. Yeah, I would say intuitively I go to the identification. I try not to over-identify. Mm -hmm. I mean, the same thing can be said for the writing as a whole, right? Like when I'm generating, I try not to overthink it. I just go to what draws me in intuitively. But then mm -hmm. at some point you need to kind of step back and say, okay, let's look at this. What <laughs> What is this yeah. doing? And so I feel like I'm doing that for the narrator, I'm also doing it for the writing as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in a lot of these pieces, whether they're first or third or in command, the found piece, yeah. um, you know, like there's definitely a thematic unity there. Like I mentioned earlier, like it's, it's like the question of love, like, what is it? Like, wh what do we do with it? How do we keep it? What is it not? Where does it come from? <laughs> and it's like love's relationship to a hole in ourselves or um, like a hole that it's like, either creating or just filling like I don't know just like questioning what that relationship is <laughs> yeah. to that hole and like there's this line in um the first story I love you by which I absolutely love or it's a question that the narrator asks and she says why this hole in me as big as the internet oh, yeah. and the reason I love that line so much is because it, it takes the theme and like kind of unfolds it a little bit like the comparison to the internet what it does is like show me that like okay there's this hole and like we try to fill it with love but like we also just try to fill it with whatever we can get in there yes and like that's a piece where the narrator gets a phone like a, a smartphone or whatever for the first time in right, like right. 2016 and it's just like you know 
there's all this fucked up stuff with love that we tried to do to fill the hole. But then there's also just like the internet or addiction comes up a lot yes, in general, yes. I think, I think in, in the book too. But I, you know, the biggest way we, we try to fill that hole is through love. Um, and so, you know, what I wondered was like the stories you wrote for this book, were they done over a long period of time or like a short period of time? And like, if it was a short period of time, like, you know, what was going on that made this such a big focus for you? Or is this just kind of like a big, you know, long-term question in your life? Yeah. So the book was written over a very long period of time. I think the oldest stories date back to maybe like the end of my graduate school time, which was early, late 90s, early 2000s. And then the newest story is probably like from 20... Maybe it was published in 2018. Um, but the mm -hmm. bulk of them, the bulk of the stories were written like the 2000s. I don't know. And then there were like, there was another small burst that came later. Yeah. Um, but I did a lot of revising. I mean, I, and some of those pieces were published in, in yeah. the 2000s, but even those I just revised, revised. And when I was writing, I wasn't really thinking in terms of a book at that point. Mm -hmm. When I was writing a lot of the pieces, I was just trying to sort of, I was trying to master the short story form, which of course I didn't, but that's where I was really just, I was determined to try to like figure this form out and like write mm -hmm. the best stuff within it that I could. And then, of course, got published somewhere that felt mm -hmm. like it would be a big, like this big affirming thing that would then like validate my entire existence. Which, <laughs> I mean, it was a big affirming yeah. thing, but it did not right. validate my answer because nothing ever does, right? Right. Um, There's the hole. There's a hole right. there. There's a hole. So, so I just kind of worked on them sporadically, and then I think at. Every so often, I'd compile them into a book and I'd be like, okay, maybe I have a book here. Send it out kind of haphazardly, half-heartedly, and then nothing would come of it. I'm like, okay, forget it. But then I think, you know, I read this. It was a course description about how to organize a story collection. Um, I did not take the course, but just mm -hmm. the description, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah it like uh, flipped a switch in my head. And I was like, ooh, I think... I have an idea for how to organize my stories into a collection. And part of the, the missing piece for me was I had been writing more and more flash fiction. Mm -hmm. And I realized, I started to think about how I could use the flash and longer pieces in conversation with each other. And then it seemed like more of a cohesive project to me. So that was around like, I don't know, 2016, 2017, I think I started mm -hmm. working on that. And really thinking about all these isolated stories as a cohesive whole and how I could make them work together. Yeah. And um, yeah, it, it modulates the length a little bit too. So it's not like one long story after one long story or one long story. Though I will say some the longer right. pieces are some of my favorite in the book. Um, but I think about, you know, um, the found piece in it, which is short and simple. Um, well, so, well, I guess I should preface like, first of all, I'm always, I, I'm very interested in, in found work and, and I, yeah, I like to yeah. do it myself myself. And one of my favorite things about it is how direct you can be with the themes, because when it's not you, the narrator saying it, like there's less pressure yeah. to be fancy or, or like to tell a story. And you're like, let's put someone else's blood on the page here. And like, since someone else's in a way, like it, like you can just be direct and like, you can kind of just state. In a way, I feel like that book kind of states at times what the book is about. So I'd love to hear a little bit about, because, you know, it's the only piece in the book that is like a found piece. So I'd love to hear about kind of yeah. the genesis of that. Let's see. In 2017, my dad died of cancer. So it was, you know, 
it was over a few months of him dying. It was a very hard time. I, I was already sort of having a midlife crisis and that made it worse. I wasn't in great shape. So I found myself Googling like various self-help stuff a lot. And in the course of doing that, you know, I found these wiki howls, like how... And, <laughs> They had them for like the most complex human experiences imaginable. And it was absurd. So they, there was one about how to get over someone you love. And I just thought, you know, I'm just going to start playing with that and see what happens. And I did play with it. And that's what happened. <laughs> and it was really liberating because I didn't have to worry about, you know, it's one thing to have this well-established character who maybe seems like an author surrogate talking mm -hmm. about cutting themselves. It's another, you know, right, right. it's another thing to just like let the language create the character mm. and say and do the things that are a little more dangerous mm. um, when put into, when, when attached to a self <laughs> so clearly. Yeah. Yeah. And um, like, was it, was it immediately apparent to you as you kind of like did this experiment and finished it, that it had a place in the book? Um, like, did you see the, the parallel immediately or was it like sometime later you're like, yeah, I think this works <laughs> I think somewhere it was a, in here. Yeah, I think it was a little bit, it might've been a little bit later because I think I might've already been sending the book around mm -hmm. um, at that point. And then I added in some things as they seemed to cohere to the book's larger themes. Mm -hmm. And I also took some stuff out as well. Yeah. And the title of the book comes from a title of, of one of the pieces in the story. Yeah. And the actual scene where it happens is kind of funny because like, yeah. it's like, there's, it's a kind of like the title kind of refers to this like anger sex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's happening yeah. in the book yeah. where like the person's like having sex and like, oh, this is love, love, love. And that's where the, the repetition comes from. Right. Right. And it's super funny, but it's also so interesting because un like in another story, it kind of brings up this idea of like pleasure and pain. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the story. It might be second or third, but it's a, like a teenage narrator. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And yeah. I think it is at least. I'm sorry if I'm mixing it up. You probably know, but I can't I yeah, quite remember right. myself. <laughs> but either. The, the, yeah. the part in the book is like when you're a child, like you can just experience kind of pleasure. Oh. Yeah. I think I don't think it's the teenage story. I think I got it mixed up. No, I think it might be Love You Bye. It's about like fun. She's talking about fun. What's fun? Like when you're older, nothing is fun or something like that. Yeah. And it's the idea that like as you become an adult, like your pleasure always happens kind of with a side of pain yeah. or like the pleasure kind of happens because of the pain. And to me, it kind of like echoes that thing we were talking about earlier with like, the, like just like the hole in us <laughs> that we try to yeah. fill with yeah. these things and love. And like, as we grow older, like out of childhood, like the hole <laughs> just kind of seems to get bigger. And mm -hmm. yeah, I thought that was I thought that was such a pressure point in the book, and and I figured it must be because it comes from the title. But if you can, like, would you talk a little bit about you know how conscious you were of the, of that you know particular theme, um, kind of running through the book, this idea that like our pleasure happens at the side of or because of pain. You know, is that coming yeah. through something like really personal? Or is it just kind of like an abstract kind of thing you were seeing? It's never. It's never abstract and it's never something I really see. Mm, <laughs> a lot of the themes I come up with that, you know, either I see them after the fact mm -hmm. or I don't see them. Like, you know, there was a huge response to how this book treats depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And it didn't even occur to me that this was a book about depression. It's all over the book. It's all over it. But it just, I'm just like, so basically I'm just writing about the way I experience the world. And that's Mm -hmm. the way I I have experienced the world. (laughs) And I mean, it's, it's dramatized for a fact, of course, it's not strictly autobiographical. Um, So yeah, I'm just starting from a place of just trying to understand and experience and seeing what comes from it i don't really start with the big ideas i start with the experience and work my way out yeah and that's something i find in a lot of books that are like effective on me personally like thematically Mm -hmm. as as i talk to an author about it like the subconscious is almost always doing the most work there and like when you're too conscious of a theme like you start it's like becomes a little too one-dimensional yeah well george saunders calls that the original the plane of original conception mm. and says you really you need to transcend that otherwise there's no surprise you know or like robert frost says mm. no surprise in the writer no surprise in the reader so mm-hmm. you know there you go i think yeah you gotta really let the the subconscious have its say yeah and it was interesting to hear you tell me earlier that for at least a little while you were interested in studying um religion because not in every story, I don't think, but in, I think it's um, definitely in the last one. And then there's yeah. a few sprinkled in too, where the idea of God is very present. And mm-hmm. it definitely in relationship again to that hole, you know, one of the ways we try to fill this hole is through God um, or religion. And also like God's relationship to also the theme of love, you know, like, yeah. And then also um, God's relationship to like recovery and like recovery of addiction. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, was this something that is also very subconscious to you that like this idea of God kind of runs through it and like maybe we can just credit it to (laughs) your kind of innate interest in in religion? Um, Or is this something that you tend to wrestle with, you know, this kind of spirituality is something you tend to wrestle with in like a lot of your work? Um, I used to wrestle with it a lot more Mm -hmm. and wrestle with it, not just in my work, but in my life. Yeah. and it's funny because actually, so another name for the Jewish people is Israel, not the modern mm-hmm. nation state. And that means God wrestler, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so even though I'm not, I'm not at all like a super observant Jew, I do feel like I've always been a God wrestler. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, so it just comes out. It comes out. Or it as did. I'm, yeah. Or it did come out. And yeah. I think it still, it still comes out. I just don't think about it as much i'm not i'm not as worried about it as much why do you think that is why do you you think's changed i think i just i don't really care yeah (laughs) (laughs) i just feel like there's no there's no thinking your way out of it there's Mm -hmm. no there's no good answer and i think also i am i think i'm mellowing with age and a lot of my wrestling with god is a sort of anger with the Mm -hmm. nature of existence Mm -hmm. um and i'm not as angry Although there's, there's plenty to be angry about. There's yeah, plenty right. to be angry about. And, and I am angry about the world in general, um, but I also am more able to kind of see the beauty in the world and the beauty in me and my life. Mm-hmm. And I also think I, I, I have developed a much more intuitive understanding of God. I don't want to like go too far afield, but I've I feel like I do, I can sort of... I have a kind of spiritual sense of things yeah. that can be feel very palpable to me and I don't need reason right. to <laughs> direct me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's always 
<laughs> one of the most important questions in our personhood is trying to, you know, wrestle with, you know, what is, what isn't, is it there? Is it not there? Yeah. In what capacity? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it, I relate to that because in a way it's, it's always like at different times in my life, it's something I wrestle with. And then at other times in my life, it's the least interesting <laughs> question question on my mind yeah and yeah i wonder like i wondered to myself what is it that kind of like sparks that renewed interest in the question whether it's anger or fear or like wonder i guess Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um and like sometimes i i'm more interested in doing the wondering (laughs) kind of the wandering other times i'm just like i don't know like things seem shitty and i don't care why like they just yeah (laughs) the why is not gonna help it's just kind of shitty um, yeah, <laughs> but anyway, so if you're not, if you're not wrestling, you know, too much with that now, um, and you know, you got this whole book <laughs> kind of love, um, yeah. you know, what are you working on now? Are you still dwelling in the same territory or do you feel like what you're doing now is kind of completely different? Um, I wouldn't say it's completely different. I am somewhat dwelling in the same territory. Uh, I'm working on a novel in stories and I'm really trying to, I'm on my third draft now, really trying to wrap it up. And it's about a mother of two who loses her husband to cancer and then, you know, sleeps around a little <laughs> um, and has these sort of borderline paranormal experiences as she really hopes against hope for her her husband's return. She mm-hmm. can't quite let go. She can't let go of her husband. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, I haven't quite figured out a great, like, elevator pitch for this book. Yeah. <laughs> there's like, there's the ghost of Elvis Presley. There's Ascension oh, yeah. weighted blanket. There's, so there's, <laughs> I'm working with a lot of, you know, there's some like weird sort of magical elements to my collection. And there's a lot more of that here. Although it's, again, it's kind of ambiguous yeah. and intentionally so. Um, so I think I'm moving a little bit more into, there's still these sort of self-destructive relationships and history and, um, you know, a little bit, there's some issues with substances, not so much full-fledged addiction. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, but it, I think it, it delves a little bit more into motherhood. And I think I'm also examining a little more explicitly the nature of knowledge, mm. the limits of knowledge, how we know what we know, um, what we can know, um, what good it does to know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. And so, okay, so it's a novel and story. So I'm, I'm interested in like, was it always in your head going to be a novel and stories where like, oh, I'm going to write a novel and it just kind of turns out that like, the comfortable way for me to approach this is to keep it in stories or did you try it a different way and you're like, no, this yeah. is, yeah. how did this kind of so, form take shape? That is a great question. So it did, it took shape kind of organically, but I, it started with a dream. I had a dream um, about my dead father. And this was, I think in the end of, at the end of 2017. And, and I realized after that dream, I hadn't really dreamt about him a lot. And I mm-hmm. thought, Ooh, I should write about a story about a character who's sort of chagrined because this person they lost isn't showing up in their dreams and they're expecting them to. But then I thought, but you know, I should make it a partner instead of a parent because although the loss of a parent is devastating, the loss of a partner just very, overtly affects your everyday life Mm. 
24-7, especially if you have kids. So I, I started from there. I wrote this one story. It was a flash story. And then I had another dream that made me want to write a story. I was like, ooh, I think the character from the first story would be a great protagonist for this story. So I had two two flash pieces. And then I just kept writing more. And pretty soon I was like, oh, this is a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just going to write it in stories, it became more and more challenging as it went on to, on top of writing these self-contained stories, also have this overall cohesion and movement. And, you know, I really had to work with that in my revisions. Yeah. But yeah, it sort of, it, it, came about it came about organically and then intentionally (laughs) after that yeah it strikes me as a really um challenging form like i've never tried to do like a novel in stories though when i used to do fiction more at one point i did try like a novella in flash like that kind of thing and what's so challenging to me about it is like when you think of like a i guess like a traditional novel like how a chapter works like chapters don't end on resolutions right they typically end on like a cliffhanger to go to the next thing and it seems i'm not gonna say it's easy i've never written a novel and i uh it just seems really freaking hard and everyone tells you how hard it is uh and fun but um it seems easier to be able to come to a chapter and be like okay now now we can leave a space to go to the next one and it picks up but in a in the stories like you kind (laughs) of need to know how much you should resolve it to make it self-contained and but also like to leave open to go to the next thing yeah (laughs) yeah it was rough it was rough I mean I really felt like I was I was doing the easy thing at first because Mm. I'm comfortable with short stories and I I thought well I can sort of hide inside this form but as it went on I realized wow this is really a challenge to be building momentum while Mm -hmm. also reaching resolution for the individual story slash chapters um but i think i've sort of figured it out (laughs) i realized you know you had to i had to one thing that was really important for me i was so accustomed to like writing a story getting it the best it could be and then sending it out Mm -hmm. and i realized i had to let go of that model for this not just because you know i was hoping to publish it as a larger Mm -hmm. work but because I didn't really need each story to be completely self-contained right. and publishable on its own. It didn't need it, it really did need to sort of spill over into the other stories mm-hmm. and take on the other yeah. stories in a way that that model didn't really allow. Yeah, and so do you find yourself maybe like a story you wrote earlier on like you do a later story and you're like, "Oh, I see a connection there." And then you kind of go back and do the first one and <laughs> yes yes mm-hmm. or i'd find stuff there'd be stuff i do later and then i'd say oh actually that would work really well earlier in the book and so mm-hmm. then i'd go and and you know tack it on to a completely different story where yeah. it made more sense to the book as a whole mm-hmm. and you mentioned some of the stranger aspects of the book you're working on and and there are the strange aspects of um the short story collection it's actually one of my favorite things about the book is like there's just a, a sense of like strangeness a lot of the times it's in the worldview of like the narrator mm-hmm. like you do get a sense of how they see the world and any and the way anyone sees the world is a little strange to anyone yeah. else and yeah and so there is that but there's also like the things where like for instance in like the the psychic right like in the first yeah. one but one thing i was wondering is like for you like where do you think the strangeness kind of comes from like is it something to you that more comes from like the setting or the plot or like the kind of the conceit of the story and where it goes or do you kind of look at the strangeness as 
you know, point of view or I guess both or, you know, what's the relationship there for you? Yeah. I mean, I think strangeness is more, it's point of view plus conceit, but the conceit really, I try not to be a very conceit based writer, although Mm -hmm. that kind of changed for this current project because in order to keep going without that cliffhanger kind of thing, I sort of had these little conceits that I, I built each story slash chapter around. But I guess whenever I'm working with a conceit, it's coming from place of emotional resonance for me. Mm-hmm. And I I feel like the world, like reality is really strange. Yes. <laughs> My experience of reality is strange. So more and more, I found it hard to write about reality without incorporating <laughs> yeah. like what would be construed of as, as strange. Yeah. And I guess like it makes me think too, like what is a story that traditionally people are interested in hearing it's like something weird happens to somebody yeah yeah <laughs> like we yeah. follow kind of um the the fallout too so yeah, yeah and th- it's interesting to think of like how we can use like those artifices to double down on the reality i guess in a way yeah rather than kind of steer it away yes and i guess that's kind of the difference between a conceit turning into like a genre fantasy piece and then a conceit right. kind of being rolled over into something that's more literary and human it's like i'm going to suspend your disbelief on this one thing like just but that but just this one thing right right and then everything else is going to seem very 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 real to you and i think that's something that i really liked about your work is um some of the pieces have those kind of more like strange or like magical conceits but i never really think about them compared to the pieces that don't necessarily have them. So um, in your mind, like, do you approach them differently? Like when a story has the conceit or when it's not, or it's just like, all right, here's the thing, it's there, but I'm going to approach it like every single story. Yeah, I just approach it. I mean, usually if I'm using that conceit, there's a part of me, I or I completely accept it as as reality or reality for my character. Like I don't question its reality. I just commit and it's done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for the novel and stories, like, do you have an end in sight or is it just, is it just kind of an ongoing thing? You think you're, you're wrapping up on it or are you like kind of in the middle? I think I am wrapping it up. I mean, I, I, I thought it would take, the, the first draft took me four years and I thought mm-hmm. it would take another few years to do <laughs> subsequent drafts because often with my stories, the later drafts take at least as long as the first draft. But no, I think the second draft, I was really able to see a lot. Um, by reading it as a whole. And now I'm on the third draft. I, there's more work to do. And there's probably more work to do than I'm going to do, mm. if I'm honest. I am. I'm feeling a little bit like done. Like I just, there's only so. So I'm trying to respect that feeling for myself, not completely capitulate to it because I don't want to just be lazy and not make it the best book it can be. But I really, I only have so much more in me left to give this book. <laughs> yeah. That was my conversation with Jennifer Wartman. You can get a copy of This, This, This is Love, Love, Love from Split Lip Press and elsewhere on the internet. And make sure to check out our books too over at autofocuslit.com books. Next week, we release our third book, Emily Costas, Until It Feels Right. So be on the lookout for that. And that's it. Thanks for listening. Till next time.